0: Hi, I'm Carrie, a stroke survivor and a BIND member.
1: Hi, and I'm Olivia, a stroke survivor and member of BIND as well. And today we are going to learn a little bit more about Kevin and the importance of counseling during during recovery. So welcome back, Kevin.
2: I'm glad to be here.
1: Thank you so much. So tell me a little bit about um, where you work um, and what you do.
2: Um, right now, I'm working in Frisco at Baylor Scott and White um, Institute for Rehabilitation in their day neuro program.
1: Great question to lead to to kind of follow up with because I have very very little experience with day neuro. Mm-hmm. Um, what is day neuro?
2: So day neuro is a post acute rehabilitation setting. Um, individuals who are done with their um, acute care hospitalization, they've been through all that. Uh, part They've been through their um, inpatient rehabilitation, perhaps, um, and have been safe to return home but may not be ready to return to their lifestyle yet. Um, often come to day neuro. Day neuro is um, a day hospitalization, uh, in a sense. We don't have nursing, but we have all the therapies. So it's physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech pathology, Counseling, therapeutic recreation. We have a medical director, we have case management, and people come generally um, from like nine in the morning and they leave at three in the afternoon. And in between, they do all the kinds of therapies that I just described um, with a focus on returning to all those lifestyle skills. And one of the big differences is that it tends to be a more dynamic type of therapy. So Um, You get all the basic PT focus and the OT focus, but then we start working together and taking that and doing things with it because the brain learns better by doing things. So um, it's a lot more collaborative. It's a lot more engaging, and it it can be um, very personalized.
1: Um, So, yeah. Well, thank you for – yeah, thank you for – Answering that long-awaited question on my end. Yeah, no problem.
0: (laughs) And I I would just add in, um, because I know when I was in day neuro at a different place, and you mentioned it here, so what is the, how does the counseling aspect fit in? What is the benefit to a newly acquired brain injury for counseling?
2: You know, I I tell my brand-new clients when they come in and their families that um, psychology kind of breaks down into two major pieces in day neuro. One part is neuropsychology, which is predominantly an assessment and uh, descriptive field. To, um, you know, it's a PhD um, psychologist who, if you can imagine, an MRI kind of looks physically at your brain um, and tells you what's in good condition, what's not in great condition, and how they're doing. Well, your neuropsychologist does testing, and they can t- talk about how all those regions of the brain are doing and how they're communicating with each other where there are strengths and weaknesses and that helps us a lot. And then there's counseling and counseling really is there to help with um, the, the the person who's sustained the injury, but also for their families um, to help with adjustment and just dealing with all the things that might come along with the recovery process, all of the uncertainties, the difficult times, um, the confusion and I do straight counseling, I do some testing, um, I do a lot of education, so a lot of times it's not like, tell me about your mother, right. but it is like, let me tell you about your brain,
0: yeah.
2: and, um, and then I work with the rest of the team, and we do functional things to help people get back into their lifestyle.
0: I want to focus on one thing you said in mm-hmm. there. I'm not trying to hog the show, but because um, I kind of do remember this. But talking about that, the counseling that you do for the new brain injury patients is not just for the brain injury, but for the caregivers. Yes, and we try to focus a lot of that too on the caregivers here that people don't seem to always get that a brain injury didn't just affect the person that had it. It affects the entire family. That's right. And the whole dynamic in the family changes. And, I, you know, like our friend Carl always said, he's like, no one takes a class in high school on what to do after a brain injury. You know, and his wife had to refigure everything out. Yep. My parents had to bring home a 38-year-old child. So I'm glad that you mentioned that That this, counsel- this counseling is not just for the brain injured, but for the whole family.
2: Yeah, adjustment is, is a much bigger idea than just... I feel sad because I can't do what I could do. It's much, much bigger than
1: that. So how do you respond when a patient that doesn't think that they need, like, counseling, um, like, yeah, what what do you think is the... How do do you kind of approach that?
2: Well, I I get that quite a bit. Um, You know, most of the time I try to talk with them about what it is they do want to work on. And I do have a a number of clients that I work with that would say they don't really have any mood related problems at all. And they're doing pretty well. I mean, I think they're pretty much right, but they do have other things that they want to work on. And so I usually let them know that my focus is to help them to resume being independent. I'm a cognitive therapist So I'll come alongside, you know, say speech therapy is working on some fundamental skills. I'll try to find activities that we can do that will utilize those skills and so they can get reinforcement, but not just do the same paper and pencil routines that they might do independently or at home. It's much more dynamic. I might even be able to bring in another therapist or or another client for some of those if we want to do a more dynamic activity. but. We just try to work with what they've got, and what is important to them. And when the mood stuff comes around, we've already got rapport built because counseling is a it's a it's a a relational therapy, and you know the whole they say that you know the supportive relationship and environment is what allows the person to take the steps they need to take to take care of themselves, and so that's. You know, I got to be a little creative in sort of building that rapport and we do what we can from there. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, people have the choice not to participate and we figure that out, too.
1: Can I ask one one extra question? Um, What can you give me some examples of like things that you've done depending on like what, you know. I guess whether it's a because there's, yeah all kinds of I, I know about rum, Rummy Cube I okay. do know that but
2: <laughs> well an occupational therapist and I for eight years ran a cooking group
1: oh so what is a oh, counselor doing
2: that. in a cooking group yeah and this is maybe kind of an insight into day neuro as well so for the for the patient the client they're making lunch and we made. I mean, we made good food, and we made it from scratch. We made sushi, we made homemade pasta, we made, you know, everything you can imagine. I mean, it was like, amazing group. So, obviously, occupational therapy is working on, the you know, kitchen safety, hand dexterity, occupational therapy things. What's a counselor doing there? Well, I'm watching that person's ability to read and follow directions, their self-awareness, their ability to relate to the other people in the group. Um, their ability to make changes as unexpected things happen, how efficiently that happens, um, and then their flexibility in doing that in a sort of a natural way or is it really challenging for them. And so for the client, they're just doing something they enjoy. It was a voluntary group. And they're having a good time doing that. For the therapist, we're doing something really meaningfully um, goal-oriented and then we can sit down and talk with the person afterwards and say, "Here's what we noticed, and here's where we see really great strengths, and here's some things we want to work on." Wow. So, and I tell people in you know in our environment all the time, it's like we are not testing you all the time,
0: but, but we, you are. But we
2: observe everything, <laughs> we measure everything, <laughs> and so day zero is very dynamic that way.
1: That's yeah. incredible, and that and it was eight, eight years. You lo- that you, particular you co- group loved? until COVID. Yep. Yeah. Ah, I see. Okay. Okay. Thank you, COVID. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I know. I did know. a lot of things.
0: so um, I guess that brings me to another question. So, like, you've made this rapport. You're talking to someone. And, you know, we have our ups and downs. And, unfortunately, sometimes we just have a plateau. Mm-hmm. And we get really frustrated with where we are. Well, I'm not making any more recovery. Yep. I I'm, Am I going down? I'm, I'm frustrated with my progress. How do you help that person?
2: And that's a really beautiful question. Because I do think that probably the two big, um, maybe landmark hurdles that are pretty reliable. One is frustration. Frustration is probably the first thing that I see that people get really honest about. Um, More than sadness, really. And it's, I'm tired of being sick. I'm sick of being sick. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being in school, (laughs) you know, and all that. And then the next thing is insight development. Um, Insight development is super hard, And when people become aware that, oh, wow, so this road ahead is a lot longer road than I thought it was going to be, or maybe this thing's getting better, but I I can't seem to break through this other thing, and maybe that's something I'm going to have to live with, well, then you start seeing the other feelings come forward, and people, again, start getting real honest about um, the hurt that comes along with the recognition that my plan for my life has definitely changed, but it's also the, the bridge to acceptance and, frankly, independence. It, it's really hard for a person to maximize their potential when they're staying focused, you know, sort of in the past, mm-hmm. and that's really challenging. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, thanks. I'm going to take a little break here real quick again and remind our listeners to go ahead and click that Like button, click that Share button, click that Notify button. Just click the buttons. Just stay watching. Don't click the button that turns it off. So, okay. Um, I do think that that's good. I like that you said that because frustration is – and. It may have even been you that mm-hmm. I still tell patients when I go and talk to them today, new patients, that when you, after you have a life-altering brain injury, you go through the five stages of grief yes, you that you go through when you lose a loved one. Well, you have lost a, a, a very one. special loved one. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, because I know I was hit on frustration for a long time. Yes,
2: yeah, frustration is is that feeling that says something's wrong and I want it to change, but I can't do anything about it. And it's a half truth because obviously you even today in, in your world of, you know, doing podcasts and working and, you know, w- maximizing the life that you're living, realize that, you know, I still can keep doing things. Mm-hmm. I can still advance and, and, and make it better. And so while I can't undo what was what occurred at that point in time. I do have control. I have control over a lot of things and that control is maybe the, the safety relief valve, you know, from frustration. People like, do you can do something?
1: Right. That's a really hard, it's a hard, it's a, it's a hard road in, Mm -hmm. in that sense. And it's been, yeah, I mean, I think for, for everyone in their, in their own, you know, recoveries and their journeys, um, particularly with grief, um, Mm -hmm. that frustration, it's, it's a big chunk. So um, thank you for doing what you do and helping guide people um, towards, you know, towards acceptance, ultimately, right. So um, also, um, Kevin, do you have any good resources um, for brain injury survivors and caregivers um, that you know, you can that you can basically share um, to learn and heal during recovery?
2: Um, there are, you know, there's tons of great, you know, um, self-help types of books. And it's really individualized. I mean, I could go down the list of, you know, you know, here's, you know here's how to, you know, be more optimistic or do these kind of things. But I, I think one of the ones that I actually really enjoy sharing the most are other people's great success stories. So things that I kind of like to turn to. Um, if, if if a person can find them is Jill Bolte Taylor's mm-hmm. book, My Stroke of Insight. Um, fun Jill-
1: fun story actually. I actually because mm-hmm. um, I couldn't read right for, right. Um, for well I, I'm still struggling, but I c- I can read, but I you know I'm still struggling. Mm-hmm. And so um, I actually um, where I was living before um, I happened upon um, one of the the um, free li- libraries that yes. I had in my area. Uh-huh and that was that was in there so it was just really nice to actually get you know to, to actually like physically have it and and like read through it it's sure. such a great great book it's a book.
2: great yeah. encouraging story and an interesting thing about Jill Bolte Taylor's story is that really her recovery happened before a lot of what is you know neurorehabilitation even existed it was yeah. it was in the 90s this you know there were a couple of things around but yeah, she she and her mom basically did the did the work.
1: Yeah, because she was a neuro was she, she, neuroanatomist. She was neuro yeah she at was a, Harvard. A, a, yeah, she was she's incredible. She's yeah. Doing it, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I also
2: like um, if you want to go on YouTube, um, uh, if you look up Jason Krigler, really really um, enriching, amazing story. There is actually a video uh, that's out there called Life Support Music. Um, this is the Jason Krigler story, and that's the full story. But you can go on YouTube and see him talk about his remarkable recovery. Um, a gentleman who, at seven months, was still in a semi vegetative state after his injury and had a absolutely beautiful ultimate recovery in, you know, in his life. Um, I also like uh, Kevin Pierce's mm-hmm. story. Um, you can see the, maybe track down the crash reel, which was an HBO Film Um, And um, another really good one, and it's a little harder to find, um, but uh, the story of Bob Woodruff, who was an ABC News reporter who got injured in um, Afghanistan? No, I'm sorry, in Iraq. And uh, they did a documentary to Iraq and back. But his book um, with his wife, Lee, is out there. Really, again, beautiful story of a person who had a really remarkable injury. Had you know uh, uh, an astonishing recovery, and I think looking at those people who've been down the road, they talk about all these things that they never saw the end of, you know, that we never expected the mm-hmm. end of, and then all of a sudden here they are telling their story and all this beautiful outcome, and um, I, I want to kind of throw in one last little thing if we've got the, time. the time, of course, okay. So people come to neuro rehab, they have goals, they want to walk again, talk again, they want to be able to move that body part efficiently. They want to be able to read, they want to be able to see, they want to be able to do these specific things. And I want that too. I think it's really important. But as a counselor, there's a part of me that thinks if you come, you work for months towards getting that stuff back, you get back to your baseline, it's a little bit of a letdown. That I worked all this time to get back to par. However, I look at people in bind. I look at people, you know, that I've worked with in other settings, who have gained something, and it's in, a little bit harder to find something, a meaningful something, that is deeper than that tangible recovery stuff. And they say, "Yeah, but if I hadn't been through that, my life wouldn't be this." better this way now. And I think that that change of self, that deep change of self is a powerful thing. And I think, you know, when when you know, we don't know the outcomes of everything, it's a meaningful direction to go.
0: Oh, I agree 100%. So, okay, one last little counselor rehabilitation mm-hmm. question. Um, when that person discharges from day neuro mm-hmm. and they don't have you on an easy basis. Do you recommend that they find a counselor or just, I mean,
2: sure. But yeah, especially if they have demonstrative needs. And the cool thing is that out in the community nowadays, there are a handful of people in our community who actually understand, mm-hmm. um, you know, neurological injury recovery and our counselors or psychologists. And that didn't exist back, when I first started doing this so that's a really cool thing but yeah I think even just finding a good counselor for an individual sometimes even just for their family can be really helpful if they're really still struggling or if everything seemed really peachy while you were in the hospital or in day neuro mm-hmm. and you get back home and go okay wait a minute there's a lot more happening here so yeah counseling a good idea
1: Okay, great. It's always a good idea. Mm-hmm. Kevin, thank you so much. You're for, welcome so for, much. Yeah, it was wonderful to have you. Um, thank you for enlightening me, particularly and about all listeners too. Sure. Yeah, about neuro. So thank you so mm-hmm. much, um, and thank you. Yeah, thank all listeners. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. And again, if you would like to contact us, you can
0: email us at bindwaves at thebind.org or follow us on Instagram at bindwaves. And also visit our website at thebind.org/bindwaves.
1: Yeah, and don't forget to like, share, subscribe on all of your favorite platforms, and also hit notify um, on the on YouTube while listening to Bind Waves. And again, every Thursday you can find
0: our find us here on your favorite st- favorite dial. No, I'm just getting on your favorite platform. I was trying to think of something <laughs> cute to say. It didn't work, but that's all right. So until next time, <laughs> until next time.